Welcome to the Skift Podcast, weekly conversations on global travel trend lines. Every year at Skift, we zero in on the big trends transforming the travel industry. We call them the mega trends defining travel, and this year was our most mega yet. With a new regional spotlight and a fresh focus on restaurants, thanks to our colleagues at Skift Table, we included 19 editorial megatrends in our annual magazine, which is available to download at skiff.com slash megatrends 2018. In mid-January in New York, we held the first of three megatrends events and drilled down on nine of those topics, including the way travel brands are turning into experience platforms, how hotels are trying to be everything to everyone, the return of European travelers to disrupted destinations, and the way restaurants are fighting the delivery boom. We recorded that event, and you'll hear it on today's episode of the Skift Podcast. Speakers were Skift founder and CEO Rafa Ali, hospitality editor Deanna Ting, travel tech editor Sean O'Neill, Skift Table senior editor Kristen Hawley, and me, news editor and podcast host Hannah Sampson. We'd like to thank our Megatrends 2018 sponsors, Accor Hotels, Allianz Worldwide Partners, Hilton Garden Inn, Intrepid Travel, One Fine Stay, and Upside. And now to the Megatrends. Rafa Ali got the conversation started with a look back at the themes that dominated 2017. So let's get into it. 2017. 2017, if you thought 2017 was a crazy year, wait till... You know, you've already seen what happened in the first two weeks of the year. Um, So uh, I'm already exhausted. We're all exhausted. Um, Two big divergent themes are happening that played out in 2017 that we think are going to continue to play out in 2018 and then beyond as well. A couple of terms that we coined, we love coining terms if you haven't figured that out by now. If you're a regular reader, you've probably heard the phrase over tourism again and again and again. Uh, we coined it back in 2016. Essentially, we looked at, we did this big piece on Iceland and its challenges on the growth that it had, and we coined the term over-tourism since then, uh, and it's become the lingo in the travel industry and even the media that covers the travel industry as well. Um, Permanenzaity is a term we coined uh, a few months ago. Um, essentially, this permanent state of anxiety that exists in the world um, because of all the things that you know, and what effect does it have in travel? So. What's happening in travel is while the amazing part is travel is, is continuing to increase in the world, the numbers came out yesterday from UNWTO that there are 1.3 billion people crossed borders around the world. Um, the travel industry grew, I think Dan's here, 5% last year, which is for such a big industry worldwide. Um, 7%, is that what it was? 7%. Um, Europe grew 8%, which is the most mature destination in the world for it to grow 8% is a, is a, is a huge achievement. Um, guess which country did not grow? So anyway, there's that. Uh, but while all this anxiousness and all the changes and all the, all the looks like the world is going nuts is happening, tourism can, travel continues to rise. So there are two apparently oxymoron trends that are happening at the same time. So we're going to continue to follow it. So that was 2017. What's coming in 2018? We're going to get into it now. Um, So, as I mentioned, we're going to cover about nine different trends in different parts of the travel industry. um, And 
restaurants as well. Uh, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to tag team with the editors who are standing there. Um, they're going to present some, I'm going to present some, and then we're going to go over it. So these are the 20 megatrends that we have in the magazine. I'm not expecting you to read it, but you, you have the magazine in there. Um, they span all the way from, you'll probably see, they're very heavy on hospitality meets experience, which, because that's where a lot of things are happening. Um, there's uh, a lot on the OTA business and how that's changing. Google, Facebook, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of stuff on tourism and how that's changing as well. Um, for the first time, we also have regional trends. We have some trends from um, Asia, Africa, Europe, um, Latin America, those four, four places we have. So with that, we're going to get started. The, our flagship trend, um, trend number one, Deanna Ting, who's our hospitality editor, she's going to come and present. She wrote this. She covers hospitality. If you're in the hospitality industry and don't know about her, there's no hope for you. Um, <laughs> it's not true. <laughs> Thank you so much for that introduction, Rafat. So this year's sort of flagship megatrend, as Rafat noted, uh, is tr the, this one. Travel brands want to become experienced platforms. And the reason that this one is sort of our, our flagship one is because it encapsulates so much of the business of travel, just like what Skiff does. It's not relegated to just a single silo or sector or category of travel. It really impacts all of it. And um, so before I kind of get into the nuts and bolts of this uh, particular megatrend, I want to take a quick survey of the audience. Um, I want to ask each of you, you know, what are the brands that you interact with or engage with most on a daily basis? if you can think of any, any ones that come to mind? Starbucks. Um, any, other, any other guesses? Google, Facebook, Amazon, yeah? Johnny Walker, it's a good one, yeah. <laughs> this man knows what's up. Um, but I, I'm sure that a majority of the brands that you're thinking of, you know, a lot of them are rooted in technology. And a lot of them have found ways to sort of permeate your daily lives, right? And your daily existence. They make your lives better. They make your lives a little easier, right? Definitely Starbucks, definitely Johnny Walker. Um, but also brands like Amazon and Google and Apple. So with this trend, what we're trying to say is that, you know what, the travel industry has finally awoken to that notion too. And that travel brands are finally aspiring to kind of do the same, to reach the same heights of interaction and engagement with people as these other brands do. Um, so for our example um, on this next slide, you'll see one great example of this is a company that I'm sure all of us are very familiar with, it's Airbnb. Uh, so last year, Brian Chesky, its CEO, was asked, you know, where does he sort of see the future of his company? And he said that within two years, just two years from now, he anticipates that half, at least half, of his company's revenues is going to come from stuff that it's not even doing right now, from businesses it's not even involved in right now. So it's not going to come from accommodations, it's not going to come from tours and activities, it'll come from perhaps, as he hinted at, flights on-demand services, restaurants, you name it. It could be anything. And the whole point of this is that you can really sort of see his strategy, his grand vision for the company. It's not just to make Airbnb a company where you book a place to stay or you book a you know, fun tour while you're traveling. It's to be the one brand that you need 24-7, 365 days a year, regardless of whether you're actually traveling or not. And so um, 
a few other examples of companies um, in, in the recent years that have been doing the same uh, include Accor Hotels. Um, they last year launched a mobile app called Accor Local that lets local residents use the hotels and utilize services at the hotels. Uh, there's also Marriott, which invested in a meta-search uh, platform for tours and activities called PlacePass last year. Uh, there's Hyatt, who acquired two wellness brands last year and also invested heavily in an alternative accommodations platform. Uh, there's also examples from the airline side too. So SAS, for example, has this really unique program where they bring their most loyal frequent flyers um, to Japan to travel with their executive chef and see Japan through his eyes and experience it through his lens. Uh, Southwest, they even sort of sometimes host impromptu concerts in the skies, although I've never had that and I usually just try to fight for my seat whenever I fly with them. Um, and then there's also cruise lines like Carnival and Royal Caribbean, which are harnessing technology to really better customize and personalize the cruise experience. So all of these sort of examples that I just gave you, they all sort of have these shared characteristics and I'm going to share them with you right here. Um, the first is that the first thing that they want to do is that they want to remove the pain points of travel. They want to make your traveler journey, your actual traveler journey, a lot more frictionless and better. The second part of it is that they now want to own more of that traveler journey and experience. They want to not just do what they've always done before. So hotels aren't just hotels. Airlines aren't just airlines. OTAs aren't just OTAs. And thirdly, they want to play a much bigger role in our daily lives. Um, can they succeed? We're going we're gonna to see if this happens in 2018, um, and we'll get a better sense of it. But regardless of whether it does succeed or not, um, I, I do believe sort of in, in my core that it's a worthwhile endeavor. Uh, because you know we're living in such an experience-driven economy that there is no other industry out there other than travel that's so synonymous with with creating experiences, with creating memorable, um, unforgettable experiences, and that's that's what 2018 will be about. And I'm going to hand it off to our news editor Hannah Sampson for the next mega trend. Thank you, Deanna. Oh, and you don't have to clap after every megatron. I'm just, I'm just, just saying. You could clap after mine, though, okay. and then you can stop. Um, so, thank you. Uh, so this, this trend um, is uh, less strategic than the last one. Um, Brands embrace diversity and inclusion message amid rising neo-nationalism. This is really responsive to the state of the world. And um, I want to give a shout out to our assistant editor, Sarah Enlow, who wrote the trend. And she's live tweeting, hashtag megatrends2018 for everybody who is tweeting along. What this trend is really about is that we noticed that travel brands um, who maybe kind of shy away from controversy have not been as shy over the past year or so about speaking out um, in political terms and kind of in response to political action. Um, so a lot of the story focuses on the president because he gave us a lot to work with on this topic. But uh, it's important to note that this kind of even goes beyond the president. Um, we saw travel play a big role in, in bathroom bills uh, in places like North Carolina when there were travel boycotts. and. Uh, Travel came into consideration in destinations in the South when they were thinking about removing Confederate statues um, as a way to make residents feel more welcome and safe, but also visitors. 
But okay, back to the president, because let's get real. Before the election, we saw a couple of brands kind of wading into political territory, but most of them, Celebrity Cruises was a big one. Um, they put out an ad that talked very specifically on the night of the first debate about walls and fearful rhetoric. Um, but a lot of others kind of didn't wade into that area too much at that point. After the election, I think a lot of companies that we talked to were hoping that the CEO president would um, pass all that bluster, you know, put it behind him and uh, do things that they actually cared about, like fund infrastructure and pass tax breaks, which, you know, they got that. But they also got a travel ban, which came around shortly after the inauguration. And um, that prompted swift and harsh condemnation. Expedia was uh, vocal pretty quickly. They actually supported uh, some of the lawsuits against the travel ban. And we started to see companies get a lot more targeted um, and specific in their advertising after that, including Orbitz and Hyatt destinations who were really concerned that they were gonna see a drop in international travelers, started to create specific um, welcoming campaigns to kind of offset that, that language that was coming from the president. So we have a slide that kind of shows where we are now. Uh, so this is the 12-month moving average. Um, we only have it through July, but we see that international inbound to the US have been slowing. Um, <clears throat> to kind of take this from another point of view, international arrivals to the US through July were down 4% compared to a year earlier. Um, they're expected to be down for the whole year. And as Rafa mentioned, that's in a year when international travel around the globe was up 7%, Europe was 8%. Um, for the US to be showing decreasing international numbers is a really bad, bad sign. Uh, Spain actually overtook the US last year as the second most popular destination in the world. Um, so travel companies are, who weren't being vocal before are now finding that they really can't stay silent. Um, the US Travel Association, which tries to stay um, friendly with everybody, actually announced a coalition today. And they're joining with groups across travel and other industries um, to really try to communicate to the president, to the Trump administration, the importance of foreign visitors. And we're finding that destinations are still trying to counter the unwelcoming message from the top and send their own message saying, we want you here even if the president doesn't. Yeah, I just want to add something to it. So one of the interesting things that's happening, and this is not just in travel, that mayors have become the rock stars, the, the new rock stars in so many ways. Uh, and cities themselves are becoming sort of city-states um, across the world and reaching out to the world. In U.S., that's happened with New York, with L.A., with uh, San Francisco, with other places as well, where the mayors themselves are traveling outside, outside of the country to visit different countries, to bring businesses, back to those cities as well as tourism as well. So, and this is happening across the world as well. So if the state, if the country actors are not, are, are, are regressing, the mayors and the cities themselves are doing a lot, hopefully, to, um, to show a different face. Yep. Um, and we've got Deanna Ting here for our next one. 
Hello again. Um, so before I kind of get into this trend, I want to sort of emphasize the fact that um, this one, the hotel of the future needs to be everything to everyone. It's not just really about hotels. Uh, it can actually apply to a variety of basically any sort of physical space. Um, and it also you know, applies to retail, restaurants. Um, but we, we decided to focus on hotels here because we feel that hotels are really sort of at the forefront of this mega trend. Another way to sort of describe this megatrend in, in my mind when I was writing it, um, I was sort of thinking of it as sort of like mixed use 2.0. A lot of us are probably familiar with the mixed use real estate projects right now. Um, you know, you've got like maybe like a single building, a lot of floors. Some floors might be a hotel. Some floors might be commercial office space. Some floors might be, you know, restaurants, um, you name it. But they're all, they're all kind of compartmentalized into like a single building or, or space. Um, and they all kind of operate a little bit separately. Well, in this version of mixed use, uh, we sort of see kind of like a blurring of those lines, a blurring of those categories. Um, and today's physical spaces have to be designed way differently than they have been before. Um, and there, I think one of the primary reasons for that is what I see everyone sort of holding in their hands tonight, um, the smartphone. Uh, mobile technology has really sort of transformed how we interact with physical spaces um, in so many ways. <laughs> um, and, you know, one of the primary things that mobile technology has done is that it's made us multitask like never before. We can do, any, <laughs> we can do everything and anything um, f just from our smartphones. And because of that, the, this concept of sort of like single-use spaces has become completely obsolete. And spaces today need to really kind of accommodate different modes, um, as identified uh, in this recent report that the architecture firm Gensler uh, put out. Um, they have this sort of like Gensler Experience Index, and they measure sort of like the aptitude of physical spaces dependent on um, these, these five experience modes, um, task, social, discovery, entertainment, and aspiration. So the more of these tasks or um, modes that you can accommodate in a specific space, the better that space is, the better experience that you can have. And I know I sound like a broken record because I keep saying that word, but um, it's really important because experience is just pivotal in every sector, but especially so in hospitality. So for our example, um, we have our next slide. So last uh, summer, or last fall basically, uh, Skift Research conducted a pretty comprehensive uh, survey uh, called our Experiential Traveler Survey. Um, we talked to 2,300 different respondents, and out of those 2,300, 72% of them said that they actually value experience more than the actual room quality. That's kind of a big wake-up call. So for hoteliers spending all that effort and energy into making really like cool rooms with like, I don't know, Alexa speakers and all that, like it's kind of for naught. Um, and 65% said that they were seeking new experiences. Some of the ways that we're starting to see hotels really kind of approach this like concept of you know spaces that can accommodate a lot of different things um, involve co-living and co-working. 
So I think for proof of the popularity of co-working, we need only look at the valuation of a company like WeWork. So in 2015, WeWork was valued at $11.3 billion. Uh, today, it's now $20 billion, which is kind of a lot. And the co-working sort of trend, I think, is a response to that sense of community. Um, and sort of delivering a sense of community is something that hotels can deliver much more so than an Airbnb down the street, for example, right? Um, and I think you're going to start seeing a lot more kind of co-working um, infiltrate its way into hospitality. Um, you're already seeing that in terms of lobbies becoming informal co-working spaces, hotels actively saying that they're going to add co-working spaces to their, their properties. Um, and then secondly, sort of attached to uh, co-working, you're also seeing the convergence of co-living kind of take its way um, into hospitality. And I'm not talking modern day dorms. I don't think anyone needs to be subjected to that again. Um, but I'm talking about more like, I think having locals and residents sort of living side by side with travelers, really making you really, really feel like you're living like a local. Um, and a great example of this is Airbnb's upcoming, you know, hotel apartment uh, complex called uh, Nido, powered by Airbnb. And that, um, that project recently got an infusion of $200 million from Brookfield. Um, so they, these investors are definitely betting that this is going to take off. Um, another trend that we're seeing is sort of the, the use of hotels becoming more accessible and interactive showrooms uh, for retail brands. So that's why you're seeing, you know, brands like West Elm and Muji and Shinola, you know, try their hand at hospitality. And we're also sort of seeing more immersive hotels. Um, anyone here a big Star Wars fan? Yeah? Some? Okay, it's a tough crowd. Okay, <laughs> but, but um, if you are, um, pretty soon, you know, you can actually go down to Orlando and check in to the Star Wars hotel that Disney is building. And this, this hotel is not going to be like any other normal hotel. Like, when you check in, you're meant to be immersed into an experience where you actually feel like you're in a Star Wars film. So, and it should be pretty interesting to see. Um, so bottom line for this trend, um, I think the important thing to take away from this is that, you know, hotels have been, hotels have been kicking ass for a long time. Like for the past few years, they've done really, really well. But if they want to still keep kicking ass, if they want to still, you know, avert the threat of Airbnb and the popularity of home sharing and vacation rentals and all those things, they need to double down on what others can't provide. And that's memorable and exceptional experiences both inside their hotels and outside their hotels. And for the next trend, it's um, back to Rafat. By the way, that Star Wars hotel, Star Wars hotel will probably have the highest ref par in, in the planet, by the way. Um, so this mega trend uh, was written by Greg Oates, who's our Skiftex editor. He's in Vegas, so he's not here today. So uh, this is a fascinating trend that we're watching this um, is a mix of tourism and meetings industry coming together in so many ways. Uh, historically, tourism marketing organizations, the economic development organizations, the city government, these are three different organizations in different cities, have not necessarily worked together. Uh, tourism marketing organizations ex do exactly what it says, they market the city. Economic development, uh, organizations focused on building, uh, either bringing businesses into the city or supporting the local businesses and making them better. 
um, city government works with, uh, different parts of city governments work with each of these organizations, but they haven't historically worked together. Um, for the first time, we're seeing some evidence that uh, there's a lot of, um, in some different parts of the world in different cities, there's a lot more coordinated effort to work together to make sure that the, the, the business economy, the local business economy and the visitor economy work together for the residents as well as for the tourists. There are a couple of things driving it, um, as these numbers show. Uh, as I mentioned, tourism is increasing everywhere in the world such that uh, in, a, in a country like Iceland or um, capital Reykjavik has the most number of Airbnbs um, per, uh, as a percentage of the population anywhere in the world. Um, so a lot of the, in many of these cases, whether it's Barcelona, whether it's Amsterdam, um, Venice, etc., cetera, uh, there have been issues over, over the last few years on um, uh, residents protesting against tourists. So a lot of things are coming to head. And I think for the first time, um, cities are figuring out how to deal with this. So one of the ways on the leisure side uh, and also on the, on the business travel side, they're focusing on, on both of those. On the leisure side, um, cities are um, trying to push people outside the main areas. New York City is a, is a great example of, of pushing people outside of Manhattan to Brooklyn to Queens, where I live, and to other parts of the city. Um, Europe, they created this thing called the European Region of Gastronomy, which essentially works with local regions within Europe to create culinary programs to push um, uh, the second tier destinations beyond the big ones that you all know. So there's a lot of co coordination between, between um, economic development, tourism organizations, as well as cities. On the corporate travel side, um, very interesting, uh, Things are happening on the meeting side, where uh, for the f uh, a lot of the c uh, a lot of the cities, a lot of the regions, a lot of the countries are are focused on whatever industry that they think is the high growth industry. So UK is a great example for it. They have identified a bunch of industries that are potentially high growth for them, and they are uh, they're the. CVBs and the meeting planners and the organizations there are working very hard to bring conferences that focus on those industries that they care for. Which means that what happens is obviously these people, they come, they do these conferences, they have local experts that come as speakers to, the con to these conferences, they have these companies coming potentially to put their offices there, hire people there. So there's a lot of effort happening in this coordinated way that has not happened in the past. And so we think that's a great thing for economies in general, it will help alleviate some of this narrative that has happened over the last few years of cities versus the tourists, residents versus um, tourists. So we think that this is a very good development. We'll obviously continue to watch it as well. The next mega trend is going to be Hana. I'm presenting this megatrend, but now I'm going to shout out to Andrew Shavakman, who's our business travel editor, and he's somewhere in the back. Um, he wrote this. So we like to find innovation in the things that we cover, in the sectors that we cover. Um, business travel, corporate travel can be kind of dry sometimes, but we think that's starting to change. Um, some of the biggest changes are coming from pioneers in online travel um, who really started out in consumer-facing um, leisure companies. Uh, we've had Kayak co-founder Paul English uh, with Lola, which is a new app. 
and Priceline founder Jay Walker, who um, introduced Upside not too long ago, um, both have raised significant, significant dollars in the past couple of years. Um, quickly, Lola is a travel app that uses artificial intelligence and chat and actual human travel agents when needed. Um, they started for leisure. They pivoted to business travel when it became clear that it was road warriors who were really using their product. Upside really started out being focused on business travel. Um, they bring package travel, which often can bring discounts, uh, to business travelers and reward the users for choosing a package that maybe isn't their first choice but is a better deal for their employers. So um, these are both kind of upending business travel, and marketing is a big part of why they're doing that um, and how they're doing that. It's key to the effort. So depending on what you watch or consume or listen to, um, you've probably heard of Upside on your podcasts or seen it on the Wall Street Journal or come across it on Twitter. Um, they're everywhere, and we actually have a representative from Upside who's here tonight. And um, Lola told us last year that they're using some of the many millions of dollars that they've raised for a big marketing push this year. Uh, so as the next uh, slide shows, um, business travelers really are ready for something that is upending the way that they're uh, booking their travel. 52% told, this is some skiff research, said that they book their travel on their own. 20% uh, say they use a corporate travel tool and about a quarter said it's a mix. And that really uh, takes place amid a broader context of business travel preferences and behavior is changing as consumer preferences um, really trickle into your everyday life. Leisure is a terrible word, but it is a trend that um, companies tell us they're noticing where people want to combine their business and their leisure activities. That happens in booking too. So the, the challenge really is for these companies, Lola Upside and others like them, um, to convince travelers that this is the way that they need to book, to convince employers that it makes sense for them, uh, and that this is the future of business travel. I hand this off to Rafa. So um, I'm just piggybacking Dennis Schall, who's our uh, founding editor. I think most of you know him. He's standing back there, wrote this. Um, so every year there has to be a Google megatrend because it's Google. Um, it, what's fascinating that we're beginning to notice is that there's historically two sides. Uh, there, there are two different ways to look at Google and what they do in travel. One is the ad side, which is what all of the big travel brands spend billions and billions and billions of dollars. And there's the sales organization that supports all those ad selling on Google. The other side is the product side, which is the side that uh, builds all the tools, whether it's now Google Flights, Google Hotels, um, all the stuff that you see in Gmail, anything that is a product focus there, that's what they built. Um, while the sales revenues for Google have risen over the years by our SCIF research, um, estimates the advertising, what is it, Dennis, 12 billion or something they get overall, uh, one of the world's largest, um, uh, the most valued travel business is Google. This was also a work that we did last year. Um, so while that's true, Google is the biggest platform that travel gets marketed on, um, it looks for the first time that the product vision that Google had, which was not to be an OTA, they've sort of, they will do everything except be an actual OTA. Um, also, they're weaving pro uh, travel into all the products that they, 
that they have, whether it's maps, if, if you've used Google Flights, you've seen how they've brilliantly used maps as a, as a navigation and inspiration and booking tool for you to book flights. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Google Flights. I use it all the time. Um, they've weaved it into your calendars. If you've already booked a flight, it will show up in your calendar, especially if you have Gmail. They're weaving all the stuff into Gmail. So uh, they're slowly weaving different parts and different products um, in travel into the daily use things that you have. They're obviously doing it in mobile as well. They're doing it in Google Home increasingly. A lot more to come on, on that end. So um, we think that the, the, the product-led vision of Google, which wasn't apparent for the first few years, is finally going to win out. And, and, the, and the big battle internally would be the battle between the ad sales side and the product side. Um, and the reason, obviously, why Google potentially could win out against all of them is because it has products in different parts of the travel cycle and even some um, outside of the travel cycle as well. Um, if you look at other companies like Price and Expedia, TripAdvisor, they are obviously focused on different parts of the travel industry. Many of them have bought a bunch of stuff over the years to complete the tra to be in different parts of travel. But um, the only thing that will stop Google at this point is one, its own internal issues of advertising sales versus the product vision and regulatory issues. That's just bigger than travel. That's in general happening in Europe. The, um, I think shopping is the one that first got um, hit by a fine from um, EU, and then you can see probably that happening in different parts of travel as well. Uh, Google Flights, by some accounts, is now has more traffic than Kayak. I think that, that was um, a number that we heard recently. And then um, what we also reported on is Google Hotels, which for now is integrated within your search results, will end up being a separate product, much like Google Flights will, uh, is currently. So they're moving towards towards essentially taking over and then competing with OTAs in just a different way than what you would assume. So we think that's a fascinating development that's happening and obviously we'll continue to cover every part of it. For the next mega trend, I'm gonna hand over to Kristen Hawley. She's our restaurants editor, um, the head of Skiff Table. Kristen. Um, so, for our restaurant trend this evening, um, next generation restaurants fight the delivery boom with immersive experiences. We chose this uh, as sort of the flagship skiff table megatrend. Like Rafit mentioned, there are 10 more uh, restaurant specific trends that are in the back of the magazine, um, and there will be extended versions of all of those rolled out on skiff table over the next two weeks. So, I encourage you to please check out skiff table. If you like restaurants, you'll love skiff table. Um, and please send me feedback as we are growing. I love to to hear from everyone. I love to hear from readers and restaurant enthusiasts and anyone who eats and dines out um, because you're our audience. So uh, delivery is one of the most active spaces that we've seen over the last year. Consumers are interested, investors are interested, tech companies are very interested. Um, just as a quick poll, how many people have ordered takeout with their phone in the last couple weeks? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so that's what I was expecting. That's what restaurants are dealing with. And so delivery is an excellent source of revenue for restaurants. Um, and of course, they love to spread their message and their marketing. But at the same time, you know, it's hard to pay New York City commercial rent and see all of your orders go out the door without the chance to interact with your guests, without the chance to really present your restaurant and your experience. Um, they want guests to linger over dessert. They want guests to order wine. They want guests to have a great, wonderful, warm, convivial experience. 
delivery services at the same time are experiencing hockey stick growth. So Uber Eats has 80,000 restaurants on its platform worldwide, including 10,000 McDonald's restaurants. Um, and those numbers are growing really, really fast. Um, Grubhub Seamless delivers 300,000 orders a day. They call that metric daily average grubs, which I love. Um, and they also have announced a focus on rural areas that don't have any delivery food coverage. So takeout delivery, well, delivery, is no longer just a city trend. It's happening all over the US, it's happening all over the world, and the companies are really racing for coverage, and they're wanting to make sure that they're covering all areas of the country, all areas of the world, where any, anywhere there's a restaurant operating, they want to their delivery service to be inserted into that. So, in response, uh, restaurants and restaurateurs are working to differentiate time spent in the restaurant versus time spent with the food. They're two very different things to them. Um, if I was up here a year ago, I would be talking about Instagramability, which is basically restaurant and food design for Instagram. Um, still a thing. But uh, that has sort of morphed now into experience design and restaurants really trying to craft every aspect of the in-restaurant experience to make sure that uh, guests have a truly memorable experience that they can't take away, that they can't get at home. It can only happen in restaurant. Um, so I'll give you an example of that. Uh, there's a restaurant uh, in New York called Coat. It opened last year. After five months, it got a Michelin star, which is great. Um, its premise is really bringing people together. It's a Korean barbecue restaurant. Some of the food is cooked directly on the table. If you haven't been, it's a beautiful space. Um, and their, their goal is really to connect people over the food that they're serving. Uh, the owner also, uh, also admitted to me that he spent $250,000 on lighting. So your food photos will still look good. Your photos of each other will still look good, <laughs> very important, but really he's, he's going for experience and time spent together. Um, we have the next slide, we'll show you uh, a quick survey that differentiates a little bit between diners and restaurateurs uh, about what they deem to be the most important aspect of a positive restaurant experience. The good news is that food is still most important. Great, okay, good. Um, <laughs> so, but you know, uh, you can also see sort of where uh, the diners and the restaurateurs, their, their priorities sort of fall off a little bit after that. Um, so they're still very similar, but um, restaurants are still very focused on quality of service and ambiance, um, creating you know, those great experiences I was saying. Another quick example, uh, in New York, a place called Tokyo Restaurant Bar, uh, they're a tiny, it's in, it's in a basement, you have to reserve ahead of time, you pay ahead of time, uh, and when you get there, you are encouraged to submit uh, song requests on little slips of paper that are, throughout the meal, uh, sort of incorporated into the service. Um, so hopefully your dining companions and fellow diners have good taste. Uh, they're picking the songs. Um, but basically what they're doing is handling the logistics ahead of time and really focusing on immersing you in the experience from the second you walk in the door before you even get the first bite of food. You're just, you're involved. You're in it with everyone. Um, through all of this, tech is sort of the silent partner that is powering all of this change. There's behind the scenes tech, there's reservations, customer relationship management, inventory management, training, uh, touch screen ordering, cashless transactions. All of these things are powering the logistics. And there's, so much, there's so much innovation happening in this space right now, but they're powering the logistics so that the experience can be moved to the forefront. So basically the bottom line on this, what we're looking at in 2018 is that good design, good experience design specifically, uh, plus smart technology will elevate the guest experience in ways that people have come to expect, but also in ways that they really enjoy.
So with that, I will pass off to our travel tech editor, Sean O'Neill. Thanks, Kristen. Um, so I'm here to tell you how there is a design renaissance happening in the software tools that travel professionals use to do their jobs every day. And I know what you may be thinking. This is not the most scintillating of the megatrends that you've heard tonight. Uh, but that's why I love this illustration from our ACE design team, because it really captures the concept. Um, what we want from the tools that we use in our job every day is the ease and simplicity of what we get from the consumer apps that we use in our personal time. And um, this is especially true with millennials. Um, and if I had to sum up the reason why this is a mega trend, particularly in 2018, it's because of millennials, in one word. Um, there is an aging out of the workforce in several travel industry professions, uh, such as uh, corporate travel managers and hotel revenue managers. And so the job market is tightening up uh, for some millennials. Uh, and uh, no, imagine you're a millennial, go to the back office of a hotel, they sit you down in front of this desk and they ask you to use this computer. The interface is ridiculous. It's like MS-DOS, you know, there's no, nothing graphical at all. And you're gonna have to bang your head against this and an Excel spreadsheet for the next couple of years. You're gonna turn around and, and get another job. Um, and so what we're finding is that uh, this is especially true in the industry. If you wanna know as a manager whether the millennials are whiners or not, um, <clears throat> surveys say, according, next slide please, the, the millennials are not whiners. The enterprise software really stinks and you can get a lot more leverage uh, out of your employees if you use better technology. You get the user experience investment. So an example of this is Expedia. Hotel professionals for a long time have been using a particular software suite that Expedia has just for them. Consumers don't see it. And there was a tool on this platform that the uh, hotel professionals, only about a few thousand of them were using this tool. And a few months ago, they updated it, they gave it the kind of graphical interface that works so well on Expedia's other consumer products, they actually brought in the consumer team to do it. And now they've gone from a few thousand to 20,000 using it regularly in just in a few months. So as we write about in the article, there's several companies, Sabre, Amadeus, Duetto, uh, Concur, that are going to be uh, debuting new tools this, um, uh, this year that uh, take advantage of this trend. So I now turn it back over uh, to Rafat for our final points. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening through. Um, so this is, I want to end on a high note. Um, this is the, the last trend. Uh, as, as you mentioned, numbers came out yesterday. We wrote this before these numbers came out, obviously. Um, that Europe saved the world, turns out, again, um, in so many different ways. Uh, European travelers are traveling outside of Europe. There's a lot of people traveling to Europe. Uh, Europe, as you know, is the world's largest travel destination by a huge margin. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about outbound travel. So um, over the last few years, the numbers in countries like Turkey, Egypt, and Tunisia for their two weeks in summer where a lot of Europeans go to all these beach places uh, because of the cheap flights that they have. And Turkey, Egypt, and Tunisia were the big um, beneficiaries of it over the years. But in the last few years, their numbers have dropped in 2015, 2016 for all kinds of reasons, terrorism being the big one. And so it looks like that um, these three destinations are making a comeback. Uh, there was news yesterday that Egypt uh, numbers for 2017 have risen um, quite a bit um, over the last year. Uh, so it looks like these three countries, which uh, depend a lot on tourism, are coming back. European travelers are traveling outside. Not uh, some of them have are sort of over um, 
over Spain and all these other places that have a lot of tourists already, so they're trying to figure out other places to go. Um, travel to Europe is also increasing, as, as we mentioned, 9%, what do we say, 8%? 8% rise in tourism to Europe. Mediterranean destinations had like 13% rise um, over the last year. So, um, so that's the good news. Okay, I think we're out of time. I have to rush to the airport as well. Uh, we're doing this event in London, so I have to rush to the airport for that. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for the sponsors. Thank you. We've already held our Megatrends events in New York and London, but if you want to catch us live, the final one is coming up on January 30th in San Francisco. It will not be the same as what you just heard. Find out more at skiff.com slash megatrends-sf. And there are even more live events coming up. We're holding Skift Forum Europe on April 26th in Berlin. Find out about this and our other forums at forum.skift.com. This show was produced by Ben Glowey, who can be found on Twitter at visible underscore sound. Assistant editor Sarah Enlow provided additional support. To subscribe to this podcast, search for Skift on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you find your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please leave a rating and a comment to help other listeners find us. Past episodes and a link to subscribe are online at podcast.skift.com. And this has been the Skift Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thank you.